I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler. On tonight's episode, the defense is back in form. Number two serves as number one for the day. A couple of fresh faces step up in the passing game, and we'll wrap up with a preview of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Will, how's it going, man? Hey, SEC win, man. Like, you can't ask for much more than that. I mean, obviously, I think uh, there are still some things that Florida needs to improve. And and certainly, I think going on the road this week is something that we're all sort of anticipating or maybe or maybe dreading, depending dreading upon sword? how yeah. things turn out. But you can only beat the teams in front of you. And Florida now 4-2, and two, opportunity to go to 5-2. and two. I think, you know, we keep saying this every week which is if you'd have given me a certain record after after the opening stretch what would I, what would I have been pleased with and 5 and 2 after the South Carolina game I think we both would have said yeah okay like we're going into the tough stretch it might be a tough tough ride home but they've set themselves up for success now you know would I have liked to have seen better performances against Utah or against uh, or against Kentucky yeah absolutely but you have an opportunity to be five and two going into that bye week, get healthy for Georgia. So uh big game coming up. And obviously you don't get to that one until you take care of Vanderbilt. Florida's able to do that. Yeah. It doesn't, some of the schedule is less scary too. I don't feel like you look at, you know, outside of Georgia, you look down the stretch there too. Carolina, not totally unwinnable. Arkansas at home, you feel decent about, right? And then you got LSU's not killing it on the defensive side of the ball. Missouri's playing a lot of close games themselves and and hey we'll see uh, FSU stepped up and they won two big games but we'll see how it looks in the swamp so it's not it's not unfathomable for this team to win a couple of games we don't expect down the stretch but well let's get back to Vanderbilt here 38 to 14 homecoming victory over the Commodores uh defense looking solid outside of a botch coverage by Jason Marshall uh, really effective throughout this day one for 10 on third down for Vanderbilt 19 rushing attempts for 64 yards, nine for 34 passing out of the quarterback position there for Vanderbilt for 280 yards and only 13 first downs on the day. Big time bounce back by the skaters defense. I know it's Vanderbilt, but it took care. This was a take care of business type effort. And will I'll say this last year and really last few years, we haven't had a defense to hang our hat on at all. That Kentucky game was certainly discouraging, to say the least, on the defensive side of the ball. But you're seeing time and again that hopefully the Kentucky performance is going to be more the outlier than what's normal for this unit this year because they really did what they were supposed to do against a weaker Vanderbilt opponent on Saturday. And uh, hopefully hopefully they can carry uh, get some positive momentum heading into South Carolina here. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually didn't think that the that the defense played great in this one. They gave up 7.1 yards per attempt in the first quarter, 6.8 in the second, 8.1 in the third, and then they locked it down in the fourth quarter, gave up 1.8. That one good quarter, though, is enough, and they didn't give up a ton of explosives, so they gave up four explosives. The 85-yard pass, obviously, to Shepard should have been called back because of the face mask. There was a 52-yard pass to Cheryl that I was sharing with you earlier today was on a old – the uh, the the head ball coach's Mills play they ran against Florida in the swamp so you would think Florida would be ready for that but and then they gave up a couple of quick twenty yard twenty seven and a twenty one yard pass to Hoskins on the other touchdown drive um, but if you subtract those four explosive plays I think this is where it sort of goes to if you subtract the four explosive plays they gave up three point zero yards per attempt um, whereas if you subtract Florida's explosive plays Vanderbilt gave up five point three so you know from the standpoint of like on a play to play basis was the defense really good they actually were 
But when you look at the overall performance, it's interesting. Their yards per play allowed um, against FBS opponents actually went down. So they were something like 60th coming in to the game against or against Vanderbilt. And now there's something in the range of, I think, like 75th, 76th overall in yards per play. It's not a very good defense in terms of the yardage they're giving up, but they're being a lot more effective in the red zone. They're being a lot more effective at keeping the opposition out. And really the only thing that they're giving up are these big plays. And the question is going to be, can they stop that? Or is that just going to be a hallmark of the defense all year long? Eventually they're going to play some offenses where if you're giving up big plays, like the LSU offense scares me because Florida's offense isn't necessarily set up to take advantage of LSU's defense. And now you've got a team out there that's making big plays all over the place. Is the Florida defense going to be able to hold up? Actually, we'll get to it when we talk about South Carolina. I think there's some stuff there that they should do specifically um, to sort of limit that. And, you know, we'll see. I think Armstrong has now been able to prove that his defense can hold up up front. And the question is going to be, when does he start trusting um, that playing coverage might be a little bit better better opportunity? But look, I think you shut him down the fourth quarter. You only give up 14 points. They obviously got the stop after the 50-yard pass to, to Cheryl. So they get that fourth down stop. They turn it over. Florida's offense was a little bit anemic in the first half. And, uh, and you know, it was only 21-7. to seven. And, and if – if the defense had allowed a touchdown there, or if the defense had not gotten the turnover after the fourth down conversion, those sorts of things, then that game is a lot tighter and a lot more nerve wracking for Florida fans. Instead, you know, it's a 24 point win and we sort of go next and, you know, put the check mark next to the win over Vanderbilt, like you're supposed to have. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of positive things on the defensive side of the ball, but certainly still, still plenty to work on. Right. But I'll, t- I'll say this. I know we did our, our grades. Uh, I think we did that. Did we do that before the Kentucky game? For after four games there but if you would have told me at the midseason point that we got this type of performance out of the defense really the Kentucky game is the only one that you really wanted that wanted to make you throw up right you look at the rest of the performances if you would have told me five out of six games we would walk away relatively pleased with the defense I would have signed up for that all day in the preseason yeah it's interesting because I think that um I think some of the underlying numbers are worrisome. It's the same point I've made on the offense when it's come to Mertz and his completion percentage and those sorts of things is the job seems to be getting done, but it, I, I worry that it's not sustainable. And so that'll be the question is, is the sustainability on the defensive side going to be that the numbers start coming more in line with what's happening on the scoreboard or is what's happening on the scoreboard going to come more in line with what's happening from an average yards per, per, per gain, um, perspective right because florida is 24th in the country giving up 18.8 points per game they're 76th in the country giving up 5.6 yards per play and usually those two things overlap so if you look at south carolina they're 94th in points per game and 111th in yards per play that's pretty typical yeah it's not exactly in line but they're close florida isn't even close so the question so they've done an excellent job at point prevention they haven't done a real good job at yard prevention. Typically, that tends to even itself out over time. So that's going to be the question, right? And, and you know, there's been a lot of criticism on the offensive side of the ball for some of the limitations there. But I think we should also then give the coaches quite a bit of kudos on the defensive side of the ball, considering that they're sort of outperforming what I would say their true talent level is. And is that due to coaching? Is that due to luck? Is that due to, you know, I think we'll know by the end of the year, because if they revert back to sort of that yards per attempt, 
over the course of the year. We're not going to be real pleased with the defensive performance the second half of the year. If they're able to make those numbers come more in line and sort of restrict that yards per play down to where the points per game is, then we'll say, hey, there's been a giant jump on the defensive side of the ball. Great job, Austin Armstrong and the rest of the staff. But you know, to me, it's still sort of an incomplete because I don't know. Like If they were in line with each other, I'd say cool, but uh, it's just uh, you know they're not in line, and so I'm not sure whether it's a true measure of the quality of the unit. The one thing I will say is we're going to see significantly more skill talent down the stretch. Uh, it, almost in every game, almost in every game that we play down yeah. the stretch here, there's going to be significantly more skill talent. So that first half of the schedule wasn't super strong. So we get we get to see what we look like against some better skill ta- talent down the stretch. So we'll find out here. Uh, let's pop over to the offensive side of the ball where we finally got the deep shot we were looking for from Khalil Jackson. I don't think we were calling for that one, but hey, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna, to to go uh, too hard at the Gators if they want to get a little creative and have a little fun. I, I like the idea. It did not really seem to to ever be there at any point. We seemed to throw the ball up and just kind of pray for the best there. I, I'm not sure what was the. I'm not sure what Jackson saw when he let the ball go, but it went straight into the hands of a Vandy defender, and we looked at that and we said, "Whoops, back." to what we know back to the basics here uh get our screen passes cooking get our little short passes cooking and get montreal johnson the ball montreal johnson stepped up in the absence of injured trevor etn and rushed for 165 yards on 18 carries we know that johnson's a solid back not a surprising performance here but good to see him get some shine after really not being featured as heavily so far this season Trayon webb also had another 70 including a 30 our 43-yard burst at one point. We also saw a big run from Johnson, which really steadied the Gators' offense early. It it, uh, it was a key 34-yard run on the first drive uh, to set up the first Florida touchdown, Will. Uh, ETN gets a lot of attention, but this is a good reminder that we have a great one-two punch, really as strong as anybody in America with ETN and Johnson. Uh, good performance by the running game on Saturday. Yeah, so, I mean, this is one of those where we wonder, is it the Vanderbilt defense or is it the Florida offense? I think it's a little bit of both. Vanderbilt's run defense, not very good. Um, At the same time, Florida was able to keep Montrell Johnson and Trayon Webb clean as they went through the hole, right? Like, there's no problem with Montrell Johnson if he's getting hit three or four yards downfield. He'll shake that tackle and he'll turn it into a bigger run, or he'll just lower his head and absolutely destroy the guy who's trying to tackle him. He was sort of on a mission in in the game against Vandy to be able to do that, really seeking out contact. but. If you get him hit before he can get started, he doesn't have the ability to make people miss in the same way that ETN does. I'd say the same thing about Webb. I think Webb is more in the Montreal Johnson um, mold than he is the ETN mold, and that's not a that's not a detriment to either one of those guys. It's just the reality is ETN I think has some special special make a miss ability when it gets when he gets in the hole. So ETN's out. Obviously, Montreal Johnson is going to get more carries. And what Florida really did is they opened things up with those end arounds. They 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 ran the jet sweeps with with Trey Wilson a couple of times. They ran the reverse to Ricky Pearsall on the opening drive for the touchdown. Both of those had kind of different configurations that meant that they were able to hold linebackers when they were running the reverse. And then they were able to to sort of open up things for the running backs by holding defensive ends who were concerned about those jet sweeps coming around. So they sort of put the whole package together in terms of what that should look like against Vanderbilt, got their guys guessing a little bit. 
and all of a sudden things started to open up for Trey Wilson coming around the edge, but then obviously for, for Montreal Johnson and, and Trayon Webb up the middle as well. And that's what they're going to have to do, right? They're going to have to do that consistently. It's one of the things that sort of concern or not concern me, confused me about the Kentucky game plan. <laughs> Excuse me. I just assumed that the end arounds were going to be a big part of that game plan because that's the best way to sort of open up the middle of the, you know, make the linebackers guess, make them hold, don't let the defensive end crash down. And they didn't really do that. So against Vanderbilt, they did it. I suspect we're going to see a heavy dose of that against South Carolina this week as well, because, uh, you know, we've been saying it all year, feed two, feed seven. Obviously this week it was feed two, feed 20, but two got fed and Florida's offense looks way, way better when one of those guys is going for a hundred yards. That's for sure. Absolutely. And in the passing game, Graham Mertz, pretty much the same show we've seen six times now, 30 of 36, real solid in terms of uh, completion percentage, but not going to throw the ball downfield a whole lot. 254 yards on 30 completions, uh, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Will, uh, we saw a little bit of your boy, Max Brown there, four for four, 26 yards there as well. But really the highlight of the day in the passing game, we saw a couple of guys step up that are young, that this is a little bit of a glimpse of the future. And for those of you who are frustrated with this season, this is what you need to get out of this season right here. Boardingham and Wilson combined for 15 receptions, seven for Boardingham for 99 yards, three touchdowns. Wilson's eight receptions for 64 yards and touchdown. Wilson looks electric as always. He, he He's just a solid, solid player. Well, he's going to be a real good contributor for the Gators going forward. But Boardingham was a surprise. Seven receptions, man. This is not a, a position that's been highly utilized in Billy Napier's offense. I, I went through and did an article in the preseason magazine that showed just how little Napier uses tight ends going back to his days at Louisiana and even Arizona State. It's just not a position that has shined in his offense. But Boardingham, you saw the potential Saturday. He's a super athletic guy, can run some people over. They find creative way, ways to get him open. I feel like half the times he catches the ball, he's just standing all by himself. I mean, so they, they seem like they have some well-designed plays with Boardingham. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. I'd like to see him follow up on this performance and become a regular in this offense because I'll tell you what, if we're not going to push the ball down the field, you'd like to see a big target like Boardingham really be able to occupy some space in the middle of the field and give uh, Graham Mertz another target there. Well, I think that's really the key. I remember I sent you the the heat chart that I had or the heat map that I had for Mertz a couple of weeks ago, and it showed that most of his throws were to the right. But the thing you sort of pointed out is none of them are in the center of the field. Like, what's going on? Like, why is nothing down the center? And if you're not going to stretch a team vertically, then you have to stretch them horizontally, which means you're running those jet sweeps, you're running the reverses, you're running the screen passes to the different running backs and to the wide receivers. But then if you're going to stretch them that way, you got to at least start to stretch them somewhat vertically. And Morningham gives them an opportunity to do that. Now, some of his catches were down in the red zone, obviously, but I thought mm -hmm. that was healthy too, right? That they are starting to use. So if you think about it, a couple of weeks ago against Charlotte, they had the play action fake on the throw. I think it was to Boardingham where he was coming back across the formation in the other direction. Right. The easiest touchdown Florida's had all year. This game, they have the pick play where Pearsall is not the not the lead lead receiver. Pearsall's job is to get Boardingham open. He does that. Boardingham's wide open. Easy touchdown. So, yeah, and honestly, the biggest play of the game from an offensive perspective was the third and 15, I thought. Where you know Mertz had been hurt, I think the drive before you're, I think they were up twenty-one to seven, and it was one of those things where you know 
they got a penalty to push it back to third and 15 and, and, you know, you're just like, Oh God, they're going to have to punt it back to them again. Like this is really sort of like things are starting to bog down, throws a little eight yard pass to boarding him who turns around, just trucks three different defenders ends up getting a first down has two explosive catches on that particular drive. Florida cashes that in for a touchdown. The game's pretty much over at that point. So, um, you know, Beyond just the fact that he's another receiver and can stretch in a different way, the fact that he was able to make some real plays where it wasn't just like Mertz hit him in stride and he ran, ran after the catch or, you know, the defender slipped down or anything like that. These were things where, hey, settles in the zone, the right spot, and then makes the most of it once he catches the ball after contact. And having a tight end who can do that is going to be a big deal for Florida, especially when they start playing the Georgias of the world and the Florida States of the world, where Merch's going to have to get rid of the ball quickly because the offensive line is probably going to struggle to hold up. I'm not sure they're going to be able to run the ball real well. But part of that is, is that the linebackers are coming up. Who's holding those linebackers honest when they come up to stop the run? And Boardingham has the capability of doing that. So I look forward to seeing what he's doing. It's not necessarily, yeah. to me, I don't think I need nine catches out of him, but he needs to be a threat. So four catches for 75 yards. Hey, now all of a sudden we're starting to get a few of those big plays down the field yeah. because you're able to isolate the seam. And that's the thing is that, you know, if if defenses are going to play are going to play cover two shells or zone shells, you should have some throws down the seam and those develop quickly. So if your offensive line is struggling, you can hit that ball right down the seam without necessarily having it be some taxing event for your offensive line. But Boardingham obviously is going to have to get open, going to have to make the catch and the Mercy's going to have to make the throw. We'll see whether that continues, especially now that they're on the road. You got a guy who could work the middle like Boardingham and then a guy who just stretches it sideline to sideline like Wilson. That adds a huge dynamic to this offense that needs all the help it can get right now. It needs We need any bit we can get. It also should help open some lanes in the running game as well if you use those motions correctly. So I, I do think... I do think that that's an interesting observation there with Boardingham uh, stepping out this stepping up this game. I, I, now, if he goes back to we don't hear from him in, for three games in a row and this was a fluke game, I'm less excited. I'm less excited. But what we're looking for in this season, the objective of this season as a fan for me, Will, is to see potential in some of these young guys. Who's going to step up and be the playmakers going forward? And Boardingham certainly is an interesting interesting name there uh after this Vanderbilt game I mean just build trust right I mean it's right. it's been it's been three years since we saw you know Kyle Pitts and then uh and then Kamori Gamble streaking down the sideline on those wheel wheel routes against Georgia but those are the types of things that you can envision Arliss Boardingham doing right like the the two plays this weekend in the NFL the one for the Lions and the one for the Chiefs where they ran sort that of the double great. reverse flea flicker and then the tight end was streaking down the field like I can absolutely envision Arliss Boardingham running that kind of route. Now, can Florida get enough time for their quarterback to be able to run that route? And can they hit it when the guy's wide open? Those are open questions. But does Boardingham have the physical skills to do that? Absolutely. And so in many ways, it's a did have you built enough trust with Billy Napier to not just that you're going to go run the right route and that you're going to get open and that you're going to catch it. But are you are you able and willing to block when your number's not called? Can you be, you know, not even necessarily a net positive in the running game? Can you not be a negative? And as long as, you know, to me, that's usually the thing that tends to hold tight ends back the most. The only reason it didn't hold back Kyle Pitts is oftentimes they would sort of motion him out to where he was a glorified wide receiver and he was good enough to beat any DB they put on him anyway. Um, I'm not sure that Boardingham has that level of ability. Maybe he does. I'm not sure he has that level of ability. I'm not going to compare anybody to Kyle Pitts. But 
you know, you can envision them doing some stuff in the not too distant future where maybe you split him out wide and send him down the field to get some of your deep plays because having the tight end, having that personnel in there, can you get him matched up on a linebacker one-on-one? Can you get him up against, can you get him against the safety? Can you get him against a corner where the corner is just small and he's going to be able to take advantage of his size? Those sorts of things are some opportunities that boarding him will give them because if he's able to block, he gives them some mismatches or at least makes the defense think twice about whether they're going to put in nickel personnel. Yeah. Yeah. Lines of 49ers, I think, ran that play. Kittle on Sunday Night Football, I think, was the 49ers, not Chiefs. Not yeah. Chiefs. 49ers. Kittle. Lions of 49ers. Yeah. Uh, hey, the other thing, too, I would love if Billy Napier took his bye week to take a, a ride down to Miami and just sit with Mike McDaniel for a couple hours and take copious notes on cheap motions for Eugene Wilson. I would love to see. Uh, that's what they're calling all the motion that uh, Tyreek Hill has been doing down there and everything. I would love to see that with Eugene Wilson. That would be, he'd be perfect for that. So it'd be great. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how this offense continues to evolve. It's clear that we pretty much are who we are on offense to an extent where we know what Graham Mertz is going to do. We're going to try to protect Mertz. We're going to try to keep it short we're not going to take too many shots deep. Let's try to make it work. Let's see how many wins we can get in the back here. Well, so next game up South Carolina, desperate. I would call them desperate. They're two and three hosting Florida at three 30 on Saturday, SEC network. Uh, is this the best two and three team in America? Will we'll argue that next here on, <laughs> on stand up and holler. I'm um, just kidding. Don't, don't really care about that, but uh, look, they've played a competitive game with Georgia. That's probably the highlight of their season because the North Carolina and the Tennessee games were super ugly. I was very disappointed with that North Carolina performance. I, I expected this South Carolina team. I loved what I saw for them after the Gator game last year. I know you were not high on them in the preseason. I, I was much higher on them because I was thinking the offense with Juice Wells and Rattler alone that's those are two weapons that most schools don't have right there that that those are two weapons right out the gate you're in good hands if you can figure out a few other pieces you can have a really successful offense um turns out you don't have much of an offensive line up there struggling pretty mightily up there uh spencer rattler sacked 22 times already in five games including six times in their most recent loss to tennessee uh but rattler still averaging close to 280 yards a game seven touchdowns on the season so far so he's been solid despite not a ton of ton of support from the offensive front there um you're seeing uh uh wells has has only been i believe in the georgia game so far juice wells he's doubtful sunday the all sec wide receiver but on the wide receiver front xavier leggett has stepped up big time he's really emerged as the top threat in that passing game He's had over three, over 100 yard games uh, three times this season already. So in the running game, running back Mario Anderson's an interesting st- story. He's shown potential the last two games, uh, 36 total carries the last two outings for 189 combined yards against Mississippi State and Tennessee after only touching the ball eight times in the first three games. Anderson is from nearby, uh, 45 minutes away from Columbia, I believe, Newberry College, Division II school. So he, uh, it's transfer portal. He got the minor leagues basically here. So he got called up from the minor leagues. Looks like he's playing some good ball for the Gamecocks the last couple of weeks here. So, well, immediately when I'm looking at this offense for South Carolina, Florida should be able to get some pressure on this unit. We, we've seen Florida. I don't, I don't think Florida has been elite at all this year in terms of actually getting to the quarterback. 
but we have seen them be able to to get a little bit of a rush here and there and and make a few plays once in a while. I, I do think this is an opportunity for this Gators unit to really break through up front. Will yeah, well, I mean, look the 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 South Carolina team on the offensive side, their offensive profile is much better than Vanderbilt. Um, they're a little bit better through the air. In fact, they're pretty much exactly in line with Florida. So Florida is averaging seven point nine yards per pass, and South Carolina is averaging eight. Uh, but on the rush side of the ball, Florida's averaging 3.9 yards, and that's with a couple of terrible outings against Kentucky and Utah. And South Carolina's at 2.7, so 120th overall. They're only averaging 22 points a game, which is 92nd in the country against FBS opponents. And it's the the interesting thing to me is that they um, they do not torment other opposing teams in the same way that other teams have tormented Florida. So they rank 80th. In, um, or I'm sorry, they rank 94th in 10 plus yard plays, they rank 70th in 20 plus yard plays. So, from an explosivity standpoint, it's not so. Vanderbilt, my comment last week was Vanderbilt's really, really explosive and really inconsistent. This is a team that's really inconsistent and not very explosive. And so, I would expect Florida's defense to be able to take advantage of that, not just because they'll be able to get to Rattler, but because South Carolina can't run the ball. I mean, 120th overall in the country in yards per rush. And yes, they played North Carolina and they played Georgia and they played Mississippi State, who's not terrible. And they played Tennessee, who's also not terrible. They played better opponents than Florida. But it's interesting, a couple of weeks ago, going to the Kentucky game, we kept asking ourselves, all right, are Kentucky stats real? Because they played four cupcakes. And I looked at it and said, I, I think those stats are real irrespective of the competition they've played. And so that makes me nervous about that one. That's why I pick Kentucky in this one. I look at it, have to ask the same question, right? So South Carolina has played a, a, a pretty decent schedule at this point. Very the question schedule. is, are yeah. the numbers real and they really are anemic or is it that they've played a really difficult schedule? And, you know, you mentioned that they played well against Georgia. Well, they played well in the first half against Georgia. That's true. They were up 14 to three, and then they got blown off the field in the third quarter. Georgia just basically decided to push down the push down the gas, and that game was over. Now, I'm not suggesting Florida is Georgia in any way, shape, or form, but they haven't put together a full game yet. And so I tend to lean towards I think these stats are real, that these are things that that are systemic within the organization. I mean, remember, they lost Gene Bell too, right? I mean, he transfers to Florida State. He was a guy they gave the ball a ton to last year. So it's not as though it's not as though they didn't have their defections as well. And like you mentioned, the offensive line giving up a ton of pressure. Florida hasn't really gotten a ton of pressure. And so maybe that's the one area where you'd say, all right, the Florida defense, not a lot of pressure. Um, if they give Rattler time, maybe Rattler will take advantage of it. I actually think the key to this one, at least on the offensive side of the ball or defensive side of the ball for Florida, is Spencer Rattler's notorious for putting one or two throws right on your DB's hands. Mm -hmm. And the question is going to be, can Florida turn those into game-changing picks? Last year they did, right? South Carolina turned over the ball. Florida was able to turn into points. All of a sudden the game gets out of hand, and Florida wins that game going away. We'll see if they're able to do that again. Obviously, the game being in Columbia changes that dynamic a little bit compared to being in the swamp. But uh, we know Rattler's going to throw one or two up there, especially if he gets if he gets pressured. And the question will be, what can Florida's defense do once that happens? Well, we saw against Tennessee, really, South Carolina on the defensive side of the ball did not have – I know the offense struggled as well. That was kind of an all-around struggle for South Carolina. But, you know, you give up close to 500 yards to Tennessee, 238 on the ground, 
Uh, we saw North Carolina really have their way offensively with this team as well. And the second half of that Georgia game wasn't pretty. Mississippi State, I know you're giving them credit for being a little decent. They have not showed a whole lot this year. Uh, they put up a solid 30 in Carolina. Let, let them hang around for a little bit there, too. So I do think on the defensive side of the ball here, this is not going to be – this is a matchup that, hey, Florida – Florida can be a little little frisky in this game. This is something that Florida can figure something out. They can get get going on the ground a little bit. They might be able to to possess the ball and frustrate that South Carolina defense. Uh, that's really the approach on, on on Saturday here. Keep it on the ground. Well, I'm inter- I'm interested to see because last week Vanderbilt was okay against the pass and terrible against the run, and so it was very clear that Florida should come out and try to establish the run. This week, you know. South Carolina is 75th yards per rush, so 4.3 yards per rush they're allowing. They're 112th yards per pass. They're giving up 8.6 yards per pass. Look, Drake May is a good player, but Carson Beck, when he played South Carolina, was not a good player. Like Carson Beck may have turned a corner, or maybe it was just he was playing Kentucky this week, and <laughs> Kentucky is um, not 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 great. But they gave up a ton of yardage to Joe Milton. Joe Milton is not great shakes, right? So you start looking at all that stuff and go, okay, there's an opportunity here through the air for Florida to really take advantage. And I think that's where the concern, but also the opportunity for Graham Mertz really comes up. Because if he completes 80% of his passes and starts going downfield a little bit more, all of a sudden, all the criticisms that I have of him are going to melt away. If he's dinking and dunking all over the place, even against South Carolina, well, that's a little bit more concerning to me because this should be a defense where you're getting guys open. This should be a defense where there are guys to throw to, whether that's 10 yards downfield, 20 yards downfield, or even 30 yards downfield. There are going to be some opportunities with guys who are open. Are you going to let it rip? Or are you going to take your check down quick and 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 get it out there and gain five, six, seven yards? Florida's been really successful on first down. Their success rate through the air is actually really, really good. Their success rate on third down is just awful. And so, you know, if you look at it in their home games, they're converting 44% of their third downs. In their road games, obviously the two losses, they're converting 19% of their third downs. And that has a lot to do with the fact that um you know, they, they just have not been successful on passing downs on the road. They've had a bunch of penalties that moved them back five yards. You know, when it was like third and six, third and seven, all of a sudden you're looking at third and 11, third and 12 because you have a penalty. I mean, if you just remember the first two drives, right, the first drive of the Utah game, they get it to third and one, they have a false start. All of a sudden it's third and six. They can't com- they can't convert, I think, on a pass to Khalil Jackson across the middle. And then in the game against Kentucky, they got a big run on a third and long to open up that drive, and then it got called back, I think, because of a holding. And so they they – ran a draw again on third and 18. It didn't go anywhere. So just the opportunity, you can't afford on the road to give up those sorts of opportunities. So to me, that's still the thing. I, you know, Gator Dave and I talked the other day on, on Gators breakdown about the big thing that shows up in the splits is they've averaged nine and a half penalties per game on the road this year and five and a half penalties at home. And that, that difference in four extra penalties and 28 extra yards is one of the things that's just killing drives. They don't have the ability to overcome putting themselves in a hole like that. Or in both of those games, they've also had special teams gas that gave the opposition another shot at a drive that both times they were able to convert into a touchdown. So the discipline aspect of things, the penalty aspect of things, making sure all that stuff's taken care of. Florida... It, you know, it's interesting. The South Carolina is ranked 36th in the football power index, 37th for Sagarin. That's kind of where they sit in a bunch of these rankings. Florida's 34th in the FPI and 41st in the Sagarin. So I was like, oh, 
they're basically equivalent. They're going to give South Carolina, basically, if you look at Vegas, they should make South Carolina a three point favorite. South Carolina is a two and a half point favorite, which means that three points they're getting for being the home team suggests that Vegas thinks Florida's a little bit better team. I think that's probably right. I think Florida's a little bit better team, assuming that they can go out and execute. Now, you know, are they going to be able to do that? Apparently, they're going to be sleeping a lot more. We'll see whether that works. But, uh, um, but you know, there, there's a noon kickoff. There, there's obviously got to be. Well, it's three thirty this week, right? No, I but know. I, I'm saying they avoid that noon kickoff. With, well, uh, <laughs> no. For well, we all know they're playing Missouri calling. at eleven a.m. Right? So they yeah. they ought they ought to get this thing taken care of. I don't know. That's not going to make any difference. Hey, if they want to be superstitious and if they win this one, then they'll all of a sudden go to sleep really early every night when they're on the road. That's probably not a bad thing for the team, to be honest with you. But I, I think uh, I think this one's going to come down to can Florida exploit everything that South Carolina has already shown on the field. Again, South Carolina 90th in yards per play on offense, 111th in yards per play on defense. This is not a good team. And so is Florida going to come out and treat them like not a good team? Or is Florida going to come out and sort of, you know, oh, well, we can have a false start on third and three. And all of a sudden, you know, a game that should have been 17 to seven or 17 to three is, you know, 10 to 10 to seven and you're in a dog fight heading into the third or the fourth quarter. Um, you know, I, I think Florida probably should win this one easily. I just don't have a lot of confidence in their ability to come out on the road and, and put together a complete game. And it stinks to say that, but given the track record, I think that's probably where most fans are right now. All right. Let's see if you put your money where your mouth is. You got Carolina as two and a half point favorite. Where are you going with your pick this week? So I haven't actually figured out a score yet, but I'm going to take Florida by seven. I think I think Florida is a better team. I think the stats suggest Florida is a better team. I think Florida has, you know, the third down splits in many ways have to do with the level of competition that they played when they played Utah and Oklahoma or Utah and Tennessee. Um, I think Vanderbilt, when you look overall, the the ratings for Vanderbilt in things like FPI and Sagarin are really bad. I'm not sure why South Carolina is up as high as they are, given the stats. And I suspect that's because they're getting a lot of benefit for playing teams that are of high quality. But they didn't really play very well against any of these teams that were high quality, at least not on the offensive side of the ball. And so Florida's defense, you know, like you said, I, I think – one of the questions that Florida's defense is going to answer coming into this one is, uh, is are they for real? Are they more like the points per game? Or are they more like the yards per play? I think that yards per play goes down quite a bit. I think Florida probably low scoring game, but I think Florida wins by a touchdown. Yeah, I'll take, uh, I think I'm going to take South Carolina in this one. I go South Carolina. We'll go 2010. We'll go 2010 on that one. I think they get, the, I think they get the cover on it. It's been a rough go of it on the road. Uh, I did. I do think the South Carolina team is better than their record. I do think they've had a tough, tough schedule. And, you know, you look at what North Carolina is doing right now. They look like they have a great shot to make the ACC title game. So North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, that's a tough stretch in the first month. So you're two and three. I know I, I, I don't think you're quite at panic time yet for South Carolina for a bowl game. But if you go to two and four after this game at home, it's going to be a little bit of trouble up there in Columbia. So it's going to, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. So I, I think they're going to be in ultimate desperation mode. This Florida football team better have it ready. I don't even want to hear any conversation about not being prepared or not being ready this week. I think we've used that excuse twice. You don't get that excuse three times in a season. So I'd like to see a battle, I'd like to see him battle this week. Uh, but I, I do think this is going to be, this can be a tough road trip up to Columbia. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you even me up on the year. Will we we go to two and two on our picks so far? So, so, 
So South Carolina is giving up 32 points per game, and you think they're going to give up 10 to Florida? Yeah, I, I, I'm i going with this. I'm picking the score. I'm going with it. We'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll yeah. see how it goes. Well, I got my article coming out tomorrow. I'll, so, I'll call, uh, I'll call I'll a special team, uh, two critical special teams plays. We'll call two critical special teams plays on that. Shane Beamer going up against our special teams unit. So, so I haven't looked at what the over under is. I'm guessing probably going to pick like 24 17, something like that. But, uh, um, you know, I it's funny. I'm one in four against the spread this year, but I'm starting to get a pretty good feel for what for what each team is. Um, and uh, I I don't know. I I went into this thinking it's the road. South Carolina's faced a tough schedule, all that sort of stuff. But as I look at the stats a little bit deeper, I just go, they haven't been good against anybody. And you know, whether that's Mississippi State, like you mentioned, they let them hang around. They were good in the first half against Georgia. And maybe this, maybe I'm picking, maybe I'm, I mean, I'm picking Florida with my heart, obviously, but maybe I'm picking them as well because I rooted for South Carolina that whole second half and was completely just like the air was deflated out of you like three minutes into the into the third quarter. How'd Kentucky look? How'd Kentucky look against Georgia last weekend? Yeah, not great. A little bit of a different story. Not, Not super comparable to what's going on. Not super <laughs> comparable. So it's uh, I think it's gonna be tough. I think I think Carolina has had a tough stretch. I think it's a little disappointing what they put on the field so far, though. So I could definitely see they there's definitely room for doubt. I definitely think there's room for doubt. They got to prove something too Saturday, but that's why I think we're gonna get a real hungry team, and they're coming off a bye week here too. So they've had a couple weeks to prepare for the Gators. So we'll we'll, we'll see. I, I definitely think it's a, it's gonna be a tough out. But I'll tell you what, we come out of this game with a win, and we go to five and two. Say the same thing I said before, Kentucky. I don't know a Gator fan who wouldn't have signed up for five and two coming out the stretch, a seven game stretch this season. So, I, I do think uh, plenty to to work on there to get to to get this win. But um, hey, it is doable. It's this is a doable game. This is one of those coin flip games when you look at the schedule. So let's hope that Billy Napier and company show up and at least put a good effort on the field. And we're not having a similar conversation that we've had after Utah and Kentucky so far. Well, I mean, you know, the, the time for effort is over. Like you get an A for effort. If you show up and you're organized and you've got great operational excellence against, against Utah and Kentucky, you come out against a sort of mid mid-level SEC East it. team. Yeah. I, I want to win. Right. Like, I, I think at this point, the, the time to sit there and say, Oh, we played with great effort today, guys. Like we actually showed up to play in the first quarter. Like that should kind of be the bare minimum when you're a, uh, when you're an sec football player. So I'm, I'm not like, I don't think this one is a time for moral victories, either get the win or, you know, no excuses at the end of it. And there's a lot of stuff to fix. Cause you know, like you said, a lot of, a lot of folks would have signed up for five and two before the season started. A lot of people would have been really anxious four and three at this point, right? This is one of those, we sort of talked about each of these, the Tennessee game and then the Kentucky game. And now the South Carolina game sort of being fulcrums for the direction the season's going to go because we know who's coming up, right? You got that Arkansas game in between that hopefully Florida will have an opportunity to win there, especially with it being at home and all that sort of stuff. But you've got Georgia, you've got LSU, Missouri's playing pretty well. And then you got Florida state. So the, the, the difficult part of the schedule, is coming up every win is precious especially when you're trying to build something and build momentum and you know if you told me that florida before the season if you told me florida had six wins going into that florida state game with a shot at a seventh i would have said all right like if napier gets that seventh win against florida state a win against florida state seven wins we'd walk out of the season going that was a successful season that is still sitting there on the table 
you lose this game, getting the seven wins at, at uh, you know, it at that point is is rough. I mean, I think at that yeah, point, you make you, Arkansas best case, a must win game. You make Arkansas a must win game if you lose this game. Yeah. Well, and and even then, you're probably looking at having five wins going into the. I mean, because if you're not beating South Carolina, are yeah. we beating Georgia? No. And Missouri isn't isn't something you can pencil in either. Arkansas, Mizzou. Yeah, which are ones I, we might have penciled in earlier in the year, and actually Arkansas has been worse than I thought they'd be, and Missouri's been way better than I thought they'd be. So yeah. you know maybe that evens itself out. But um, look, each week has a different rise and fall. This is definitely a roller coaster type team. Um, they've shown that repeatedly. I get why people are reticent for them on the road, but I mean they have to have heard the noise. Napier has to know they can't go out and lay another egg on the road. And if they do go lay an egg on the road against South Carolina, things are going to get ugly in terms of like you know you got a bye week, you got to sit there for two weeks and listen to all the doubts. You got Georgia coming up who could put you at four and four at that point, and then you're sitting there going, all right, what kind of progress are we really making? So this is one where I say, um, you know, I get it. I understand we want to see our boys go out there and play hard and all that sort of stuff. And and maybe if there's some sort of like freak incident that, that causes Florida to lose. I go, all right, well, this isn't really indicative, but this is one that Florida needs to go get the W. Like you got to beat the teams in the SEC East and granted the East is going away next year, but you know, you got to beat the teams that are historically middle of the road in the SEC or even bottom of the road in the SEC before you can start talking about how are we taking on Georgia? How are we taking on Alabama? Um, how are we taking on those guys? And so South Carolina is a stepping stone to that. And in year two, Florida should be ready for that stepping stone. And if they're not, then that says something about the program and we shouldn't sugarcoat it. We should just say, look against Utah, a loss is acceptable. The way we lost eh. against Kentucky, they've built something the way we lost, uh, eh. But you, know, you lose to South Carolina, and all of a sudden it's like, well, who are we actually in front of? Is it just Vanderbilt? And if that's the case, then, you know, need to have some soul searching at that point. So get the W, man. Get the W. All right. All right. Gators, Gamecocks, Saturday at 3.30 on the SEC Network. Uh, any final words before we head out, Will? I mean, the only thing I can say is we're six games done already. Like it feels crazy that we're halfway through the season. So, you know, as much as we go up and down with the team and as much as there's sort of like disappointment in terms of how some of the games turn out and stuff like that, enjoy it. Enjoy it this week. Road game. So everybody's going to be watched on TV, which means we'll all probably be tweeting mean things at each other. Um, but, you know, enjoy the fact that you have an opportunity to, to watch this because yeah, it's going to be it's going to be January in no time. And when it is, uh, we're all going to be sitting there wishing we had football to watch. So enjoy it while you got it. And we'll be here to break it down when it's over. Royal Miles, I'm Nick Newton. Have a great week, everybody. Go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.